0: Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you in particular for the book that you are um, allowing us to work through, the book of James, and Lord, how it has impacted our lives in so many practical ways. But Lord, it's also been a challenge. Um, You have confronted us on many fronts, and we as your people have had to consider, Lord, what it is that you have to say. Uh, Lord, that is true again today, and I ask that we would be humble, we would be teachable, that I would be your mouthpiece, and Lord, that you would strengthen us where we need to be strengthened. Lord, we'd be be taught with uh, things, Lord, that we need to know, and Lord, that we would ultimately be more conformed to the image of your Son. So we give ourselves now to you and to the ministry of the Word by virtue of your Holy Spirit, working through the moment of preaching. We ask this now in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Phillips Brooks was a New England preacher, and uh, uh, he was a very passionate preacher, but he was also a quiet man in many ways, and at times, he would suffer moments of frustration or um, irritability, and one day a friend saw him just feverishly pacing back and forth like a a, a caged lion, and his friend said, "'What's the trouble, Mr. Brooks?' And Mr. Brooks answered, the trouble is that I am in a hurry, but God is not. And friends, that's often where we find ourselves, isn't it? Many of you here this morning can raise your hand, or how many of you here this morning can raise your hand truthfully and say that you're a patient person? Come on, quickly, get those hands up right now. We don't have all day, right? It's a joke, just so you know, okay, you're wondering. Consider this insightful poem. Patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, found seldom in a woman, never in a man. (laughs) You see, you thought I was going to make light of women, right? I was actually heading toward the men here. The reality is, friends, we all struggle with impatience, don't we? And I find myself saying this every time we have been walking through a text in the book of James. Everyone in this room is affected by this text. (laughs) Everyone in this room struggles with being impatient or wanting to be patient. We feel things and we long for things and we strive after things and we want to get those things. The the days are full of things that we have to do or that we want to do, but there's not enough time in the day to get those things done. We have feelings of impatience that can consume us in the most mundane of activities, finding the shortest line at Costco. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're already strategizing when you're in the meat department about which lane you're going to go in so that you can pop up at the right place and have a short line, and you find that short line only to find that someone has a broken product and someone needs to go back and get some more and then they have to do some kind of a price adjustment or whatever it might be and you see all these people in these long lines just flying by you. And in your heart, you're just fuming. Or maybe you're waiting at the hospital or at the doctor's office and it was supposed to be a quick trip and a a quick encounter with the doctor, but here you are and it just seems like everyone's name is being called but yours. And then, once you've seen the doctor, you have to go get your prescription. Oh, the joys of that. Now, it would be a really bad day if the next trip was to go to the DMV. We're not even going to talk about that because you'll all get angry. Or maybe you you decide to take a different route home from work because the traffic is heavy and you find yourself behind a garbage truck. And it's just, I mean, life is full of stuff like that, right? And it's in those mundane moments that we show what's really there. And the monster of impatience rises up and we are consumed with the moment and with the struggle and with that impatience. Well, maybe your patience is being tried in more significant ways than I have just mentioned. Maybe you're single and in your heart you long to be married but the right person has not come along yet. You're trusting in God, but you're waiting. Or maybe you're married and you desire to have kids, but God has not blessed you with that gift yet. Or maybe you're married and you want your spouse to take the things of God seriously like you do, and it just seems like you're just constantly pulling them along. Maybe you're out of work, and you're anxiously seeking employment. Or, or maybe you're in school, and you, you just can't wait to get out of school so you can start your career. Or, or maybe you have health problems, and you're waiting for the day when you will feel well again. Friends, these are the various ways we all face the issue of impatience in our lives. And friends, the, 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 this issue of, of patience is magnified because as God's children, we're living in this time that theologians call the the, the already and not yet. We're living in the middle of this already and not yet. It's an uncomfortable place for us to be. It's a call to live in the middle. There's the already of the fact that Jesus has come, that he suffered, died, and rose again, that the word of God has been breathed out and settled for us, that the spirit has been been released and has now... uh, has been freed in our hearts. But there's the not yet. And the not yet is that sin, although it's been defeated, it is still present. There's the not yet that this world has not been restored to what it was designed to be. There's the not yet of the kingdom finally coming. And so here we are in this, this moment of tension, the already of what Christ has done for us, the not yet of the actual fulfillment of that salvation. So here we are, caught in the middle, and we're so thankful for the grace of God. We're so thankful for the way that he works in us in that moment. But we know that even the grace that we've received for today is still going to be present because new things are going to come, new challenges, new struggles, new Costco lines. It's just a way of life. We have not reached heaven yet, and so here we are. And we're called to do a difficult thing. We're called to wait, to be patient, to endure, to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Friends, patience is the quietness of heart and rest of soul in the face of uncomfortable delay. You know, even this morning, I was running a little late, And so I'm driving on my way to church here, and I'm thinking to myself, i got to get there. i got to get things set up. And as I'm driving, of course, I'm getting stuck at the red lights. And I have a choice. I can either start to fume. I can get frustrated. I can beat my horn. Or I can just say, the Lord's got it under control. It'll be all right. I mean, it's just a matter of time. I will get there. Now, for most of us here this morning, to be patient is an extremely hard thing to do. And sin causes us to not like delay because it shrinks our world down to the present, to the immediate moment, to me being center of the universe, to the here and now. Now, many of you who know me probably know that I am typically a very patient person. But that isn't always the case. In fact, my impatience comes out more when I'm driving than anything else. And it's usually, and you probably are the same way, when you're at a red light and it turns green and the person in front of you does what? Nothing. (laughs) And you're waiting. And there are some people that I know who are very happy with the the horn, right? Right? I'm not. Um, I'm much more patient in the sense of I won't do that. But, But there's a sense in which there's a frustration there. And so the fact is, even though I may not respond in a certain way doesn't mean that I am patient. Impatience is there. And friends, we struggle with this, don't we? We all struggle in different ways. And so our passage today deals with this very issue. James calls us to be patient. But this is not a new theme. This actually goes back to chapter 1 and verses 2 through 4 and verse 12, where James speaks about remaining steadfast under trial. There's, in fact, this idea that this is the theme of the book, to remain steadfast or to pursue maturity in Christ. And that that requires this, this perseverance to patiently endure as we press on for maturity. Now, in James 5, 7 through 12, James returns to that very same issue, and we're exhorted in verse 7 to be patient. So I would like to propose to you that the, that the theme or idea that is that's being driven through these verses is a call to be patient in the face of adversity. Now, friends, we, we must recognize this. You can't just tell someone to be patient. Patience is not something that can be turned on and off like a switch. You know, hey, you just need to be patient. Well, there's a reason why I'm not being patient here. There's some impatience going, I need to have something changed in my thinking, in in my fears, in my beliefs, so that patience will be a part of my character. So patience is not a root. Patience is a fruit, Certain things have to be in place for a follower of Christ to exercise patience. Or to put it a little differently, certain things must be in place to fight the war against impatience. And in our text today, James will give us not only an exhortation to be patient, but he will also give us with that exhortation some reasons why and some examples for us to consider so that we can also develop our patience. So structurally, we have verse 1, we have this exhortation, just this, this first part of verse 7, and the rest of it are reasons and examples for patience. So let's jump into this. I I'm, I'm really have two points that I'm going to work through, and there's a sense in which we're going to run through the text twice, but there's a, there's a reason for that. One is to look at what the text says by virtue of a call. The second time is to actually say, well, how does this actually apply? What is James telling us that we need to do? So, first of all, there's a call for patience. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, this this text then begins with this word, therefore, it's a connecting verse. And we would be misapplying this passage if we did not take that connecting verse or connecting word seriously, because that word, therefore, then is is saying, go back and see what was there before this particular passage. And what was James talking about there? He was talking about the abuse of those who are sinfully wealthy, driven by worldly wisdom. They oppress those who are poor. And so that it makes sense that he would then move from speaking to to people who are believers, who are under that kind of oppression, to say, here is your answer to the injustice that you're experiencing. Be patient. That may not be what you want. Rebel sounds better, right? But be patient is what James is saying, and ultimately what God is saying in that moment. It is for us to bear up in noble fashion. So the point of verse 7 is to emphasize that since the wealthy will be punished for their oppressions, Christians should therefore find this an incentive to leave things in God's hands. Now friends, this call to patience is a common call for all who are followers of Christ, whether that be those in the Old Testament, whether those in Christ's day, or whether they are followers of Christ today. This is for us. So first of all, I want you to notice here that there is a common exhortation through our text. It's an exhortation to be patient. This is the keynote of this this paragraph. Be patient. And it's a concept that comes to the readers in various forms using different words. If you notice in your text, be patient. Patience. Remain steadfast. Steadfastness. They're, They're all in a sense, talking about the same thing, although James uses two different words. The primary word he uses for patience here is makrathumeo, and that has the idea of long-suffering. It's a word that actually reaches back into the Old Testament. It's often actually translated long-suffering, and it means to be long of nostrils. You say, does that mean to have a big nose? No, it doesn't mean to have a big nose, but the idea is this. That when something has happened, in particular having to deal with people, you're able to go, okay? That's to be long suffering. All right, so one, it's a great picture, isn't it? You know, you got a big nose, big nostrils, big breath, okay? That's the idea. Be patient, it's the idea of having self restraint that is able to bear insult or injury without resorting to hasty retaliation. Someone has a, has a camera on you, it's not going to be worth putting on YouTube because you're not going to do those things. You're going to exercise long-suffering. Or it's the word hupomeno, which means to bear under, to endure, to remain steadfast. That's the idea. So you put these two together. And they're exhorting Christians to be long-suffering with those who inflict harm and to remain steadfast in the pursuit of God's glory. So it's a common exhortation. There's also, though, a common bond. And notice in verses 1 through 6, James abandons the use of the word brothers. And part of that uh, may be indication that he was speaking primarily about those who were not believers in the example of those who were abusing wealth, but he was also warning believers who had wealth not to become those people. But now he, 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 he labors in this text with this word brothers, what, four times. And so friends, this is a, just a reminder then that we as brothers and sisters in Christ are called to patiently endure under various afflictions. And friends, it's a reminder also of the beauty of the body of Christ, where we can share in each other's burdens, sometimes practically sharing our lives with them or using our gifts to to meet their needs, sharing financially, sacrificing what we have to help others in need, or or even sometimes spiritually to pray for one another as we go through seasons of difficulty. This is part of the reason we join together as the body of Christ. This is why Gateway Bible Church is uniquely as a, its own independent church, so that people when they come here and they say, this is the church we want to be a part of, can actually say, by virtue of formal membership, we choose you and we are committing to you. Turn it around. The church turns around and says to you, our responsibility then is to you uniquely because you're part of our flock. And it's a challenge, friends, to you right now, to think about the importance of becoming a member, of saying formally, "This is the place that I call home." and I'm committing myself to you, and I want you to commit yourselves to me. This is the nature of what membership is all about. So there's this common bond, and it's a wonderful thing. Secondly or thirdly, there's this common hope. Did you notice in this text? How many times James refers to the coming of the Lord? And he's calling on his readers here to be patient there, to live in light of the fact that he's coming, but not just the fact that he's coming, because he comes in one sense as a blessing, but he also comes back as a warning to judge. And friends, it's a reminder for us that in our living, we must have eternity in mind. All of life is preparation for eternity. And eternity is the anchor that makes sense of our patient waiting. Why wait if there isn't an end in mind? But there is for us. We have the confidence in this and the assurance of the not yet, of the reality of heaven, of the glories that are yet to be. And that anchors us then to press on, and to do so with patience. But because we know that Christ is returning and that our hope is found in his return, we're able to bear under, take on the mantle of waiting and being patient. Just think about the different ways that finish lines help us in our daily lives. Maybe work is difficult and exhausting and demanding for you, but you find encouragement and motivation when you look at the clock and see that the workday is almost over. It is a finish line for you, right? Thank God it's Friday, is an often quoted statement. Maybe you're a mother of young children, and you see that it's almost bedtime or nap time, and you rejoice. Maybe you've been working on a project for school, and you're finally seeing that you're getting to the end of that project, and so you muster up some extra energy to say, I'm going to finish this out. Or maybe you're running in a race, and you see the finish line. You see these people, these long races, and they've been, they've been running and running and running, and, and the, the finish line is in sight. and Something in them just kind of uh, infuses more adrenaline to be able to push harder to get over that finish line. Friends, we live with finish lines. But there's a finish line that really matters, and that's the finish line of the not yet. The finish line of the Lord's coming. Friends, this this verse ought to impact us. The end is near, so keep going. Don't quit. Don't give up. Be patient in your suffering and trials. Press on. Finish strong. The question I would ask for you is this. Are you prepared for the coming of the Lord? Do you look forward to his return? If you woke up every day and you had his coming in mind, how would that change how you approach that day? How would that change the decisions you would make? The way you handled your money or the way you spoke to other people? How would it change? So there's a common exhortation, a common bond, a common hope. There's also a common struggle. In his call to be patient, James addresses six challenges or struggles we often face. And I'm going to highlight all these six kind of briefly here. First of all, in verse 7, we find this image of the farmer who is waiting. And this is the first challenge, waiting. We don't like to wait, especially in our context. I mean, this is the United States of America. Everything should be fast-paced. And we expect that. And sometimes that's what we also expect when we come to church. My first, first church I pastored, I came in had three services that lasted each an hour long. And it was like, cha-ching, boom, 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 gone. We have our day. We have things to do. We'll do church, but we want to do other things. And oftentimes that's what happens. We expect things to move fast. We don't want to wait. We don't want to, we want to wait at the doctor's office to, to get gas at Costco, to pay for our groceries, We don't want to wait at fast food restaurants. That doesn't make any sense. It's an oxymoron, right? Waiting at a fast food restaurant. We don't like to wait for our bags at the airport when we arrive at our destination. How many of you have gotten off a plane and had to wait 45 minutes to an hour just for your bags to get put out while your friends are doing this outside, right? But honestly, friends, when it comes down to it, we really don't have it so bad. You could be waiting for two or three hours in line in order to get a loaf of bread or to put some gas in your car. Or as some of our friends in Bolivia and Ukraine have experienced, in order to get a passport or a visa, they have to travel to the capital city and they have to face the rigmarole of red tape bureaucracy that doesn't care about you at all. Sit out there and we will talk to you when we're ready. And it might be days. I mean, talking to 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 Matthias, he's like, we go up to La Paz, and we have to plan potentially to be there for a whole week. And I remember last year I was in La Paz and we were driving by a building and there's this huge long line. And our host said, Yeah, those are people waiting just to get some basic things cha-chinged by the government. It's just the nature of it. We don't have it that bad, friends. With all of the mess in our country we actually have a pretty smooth system, except for the DMV, which will always need improvement, right? So there's, there's this idea of waiting. Secondly, there's this, this idea of wandering. In verse 8, James says that we are to establish our hearts. This, is, this wandering is what happens to our hearts when we get our eyes off the Lord and his purposes in our lives. We tend to allow the wisdom of the world to take over and we lose sight of what God has said and promised. The things we once held dear end up becoming second fiddle to the allurements that the world has to offer. And we're drawn in and effectively drawn away from our God-centered goals and ideals. You see, in that waiting, there's this temptation then to wander and in our waiting, we can forget why we are waiting. And our hearts can easily be preoccupied with other things. So, for example, when a lady is waiting for Mr. Right to come along and he isn't showing up, she may be tempted to adjust her initial convictions and criteria for, another, for a man in her life, and she may end up not with Mr. Right, but with Mr. Wrong. Because she's wandered in her waiting. Here's the next one, grumbling, verse 9. This is what happens in our hearts with our mouths when we are struggling under the pressure of patience. We see others who are in the same situation as we are uh, also in, and, and, and they are not experienced the kind of struggle. They're not affected in the ways that we are affected, and our flesh kicks in, and we want to treat others uh in kind of bad ways, and one of the ways that happens is that we get tired of waiting, and we get grouchy, and we take it out on those who are around us or those that we encounter. We no longer rejoice to hear about God's provision for other people, and this sometimes is, is difficult, and I must just, you know, share this genuinely. I, th- I think it is difficult for people who have been praying for something for a long time to be in the context of a home group or a gathering of believers where people say, oh, God was so good. You know, we needed X amount of money, and we were praying for it, and went out to the mailbox, and boom, it was more than we needed. You know, you hear a number of those, and you're sitting there saying to yourself, what up, God? where's, Where's my blessing, right? And so there can be discouragement. We need to be careful that when we share testimonies like that, that we're being mindful that not everyone is receiving the answer at the same time in the same way. But that kind of thing can happen, and we can actually end up grumbling. And when we grumble, we're asking the question, why is God blessing them while I'm having to face this trial? Why has God not answered the request that I have made? Is he going to come through for me? Waiting, wandering, grumbling, forth, suffering. James uses the example of the prophets to emphasize that patience and suffering go hand in hand. To be faithful to the Lord will often include a call to suffer. This is what Jesus said, John 15, 18 through 19, listen. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The Apostle Paul reinforces that by saying all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yet suffering will challenge our resolve to be patient and wait on the Lord. It will cause us to question the goodness of God and his purposes in our lives. It will cause us to want to give in and to look for answers in other places. And friends, you have heard me say it before many times, especially when we were going through the book of Job. We need to settle our theology of suffering before suffering comes so that we can navigate our time in that suffering in a way that would honor him. Because often when we're struggling and we're hurt, we don't care where the help comes from, how it comes. We just want relief. And so we capitulate then to the, to the moment and even to the wisdom of the world. Waiting, wandering, grumbling, suffering, Final, uh, not finally, um, number, number five here is this, remembering. This is a challenge for us, and this is what he's saying to those, uh, those readers here in verse 11. He, he wants his readers to consider those who are blessed and remain steadfast. It's a call to remember the people of God who've gone before them. It's easy to forget the legacy of, of God among his people how he's faithful and committed to his steadfast love for his children. You can read through yes. the Psalms, and you'll find in particular, I'm thinking of one Psalm, Psalm 77, where the, the writer of the Psalm is, is in anguish because they're crying out to God, and they don't hear any answer, and they have these very, very difficult questions that, that they're considering now because there seems to be a silence. And what, what pulls them out of that time of, uh, of difficulty is the fact uh, that they come to this resolve and this resolve to remember and so they begin to remember God they begin to remember what God has done with his people and what God has done with his people then fuels them to turn again to God and to trust him afresh remembering is a good thing but it's a challenge friends and then finally the last challenge for us is this it's swearing now the swearing being talked about here is not profanity but making promises especially under duress Bargaining with God, maybe, bargaining with other people so as to find relief. This is a form of trying to work out your own way while you are waiting or instead of waiting. So there's this common struggle, friends, that James reveals here that we all experience. Probably as we're going through these words here, you're seeing your own struggle. These are things that we face. These are struggles that we encounter. But there's one more common issue here. And it's the common example that we find in this text, right? We have the farmer who has to wait. We have the prophets who have to suffer while they're doing what God has called them to do. And then we have Job who endured and experienced the compassion and mercy of God. Now, friends, this is the call, the call for patience. This is James saying, listen, be patient. And here are the reasons why. But I want us to move now from the call to what I'm calling the application of patience. We're going to revisit the whole text again, but kind of in a new light. Being patient is not just something we need to recognize as important. It's an attribute that we are commanded to live out in our Christian lives. So I want to begin at verse 7 and the second part of it. And he says there, um, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the latter rains. The point here is that patience isn't just waiting until the end, as if the end is all there is. There are the early rains where you plant the seed, right, and it germinates. You have the latter rains that, are, that come right before harvest. So this is the kind of time frame. And the farmer then, in the midst of all that, is called to wait. It's actually a really great picture for us about the already and not yet. The already is Christ has come. The not yet is we have not been called home yet, but the harvest is going to come. And the farmer is called to wait. But the farmer doesn't just wait he understands that activity is taking place in the waiting so that the precious fruit can be harvested at the right time the faithful farmer had to wait and in that waiting he knew that the roots were shooting down into the earth he knew that nourishment was being produced and, and uh, was, was creating steady growth. He, he understood that a fruit is developing on the vine. All that activity is taking place while he's waiting. So patience, hear this, friends. Patience is not passive. Patience is not just letting go. It's not just ignoring. It waits with eagerness, knowing that in the waiting, growth is taking place. So in God's economy, there is no wasting of time when you wait on him because in the waiting, God is at work. He's growing us and he's maturing us in that waiting. And so friends, waiting is about what you will become as you wait. There's a transformation taking place in you as you wait that will produce glorious fruit. So, friends, see that patience is active. Yes, you're called to wait, but, oh, there's stuff happening as you wait. And just, you know, you use another illustration. You know, mom is putting a nice roast in the oven. You have to wait because cooking takes time. And the joy of having your your juices in your mouth and the salivation, enjoy that food, can't happen as soon as she pops it in the oven. You have to wait. But oh, in that waiting, there are smells. There are sounds. There's all sorts of things that are part of the preparation for the enjoyment of the meal. You get that? And this is what God is doing in us as we wait. It's active. Secondly, look at verse 8. You also, be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This expression, establish your hearts, has the idea of settling, being settled. So as we wait, our hearts can wander off in many different directions, as we've talked about. We we can allow the fickle desires of our heart to rule us, or the wisdom of the world, in both how we plan our lives and how we steward the resources that God has given us. And when our hearts are not established, we can, get, we can begin to doubt God and question his goodness. Will God keep his promises? Will he prove to be faithful? Is he listening to my prayers? Is he, has he abandoned me? See, there's an enemy who loves To whisper in our ear, God is not faithful. See? God is not near. God can't hear you. God isn't the good God he claims to be. So James is calling us to gain control of our hearts by reminding ourselves of the promise that the Lord is coming and that his coming is at hand. But friends, this is war. This is fighting to believe that what God says is true. And that's why James says, be patient, establish your hearts. Control your hearts, settle your hearts. This is the same word that is used by Luke in Luke 9.51, where it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem set his face, settled his heart, was thoroughly convinced that what he came to do was in Jerusalem. And so he put his, his face toward that task. Now, he knew what he was going to do, and we're told. He knew he was going to go. He was going to be taken by the religious leadership, that he was going to uh, suffer, and he was going to be crucified, and he was going to die, but also that he was going to rise again. And he was willing to set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing all those things would take place. Why? Because he came for our benefit. Hebrews 12.2 says this, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So in the same way, friends, we must fight to establish our hearts and be settled in our belief in the promises of God. It's war. Patience is war. Third. patience is submission. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. See, in times of waiting and enduring, especially when our waiting and enduring is also a trial, persecution, or some kind of suffering, it's possible for us to, to, to tend to turn our attention away from trusting the Lord and to turn our focus on each other. And we grumble against one another. We treat uh, one another in ways that do not honor the Lord. But to put it differently, our impatient hearts produce impatient words. Maybe you can resonate with that. But at the heart of the problem is that we are no longer submitting to the Lord's will. Our grumbling, friends, is a rebellion against what God is doing or allowing to take place in our lives. And friends, if we can get this into our heads, every time we grumble, we are grumbling against God. There has never been a neutral grumble in your life. The response that James gives to our grumbling is to remind us That not only is the Lord coming again, but he is coming as a judge. And as a judge, he is standing at the door. Reminds me of the book of Genesis. Sin is crouching at the door. Here, the judge is crouching at the door. Again, warning to help you think clearly about what it is that you're doing and the behavior that is taking place in particular, what's coming out of your mouth. So this is a warning for us to place ourselves under his sovereign hand and trust that uh, that what he has ordained is truly for our good and for his glory. We can sing a song like, great is thy faithfulness. And yet two days later, we are grumbling and complaining about our circumstances. See, friends, this is the battle that we have in our hearts to submit to his sovereign purposes in our lives. The issue isn't so much our speech here. The issue is grumbling that comes out of a heart that is not submissive to the waiting and the struggle that you are going through. We grumble in our hearts because we become disillusioned at God's sovereignty. So, friends, in order to be patient, we must submit to God who is faithful and knows what is best. Patience is submission. It's war. It's active. Here's the fourth thing. Patience is remaining steadfast. Being patient while we are suffering is not easy, and we have the privilege of learning from some of the best examples. James gives us two... Broad category, the prophets, and then a specific person, and that is Job. So we have, first of all, the, the suffering prophets. When they spoke, they often didn't understand what they were saying and had to endure the ag- angry responses of those to whom their prophecies were directed. But they endured, they remained steadfast because they were speaking for the Lord. They, they recognized what they were doing why they were doing it and for whom they were doing it and as a result recognize that their suffering was not so much directed at them but it was directed to the god who was using them as messengers they suffered in the patient exercise of their responsibility now james doesn't mention any name but we can think of some as elijah fleeing for his life from Jezebel. There's Jeremiah who found himself in the mud at the bottom of a cistern. There's Isaiah who, as tradition would would have it, was sawn in two. They all spoke in the name of the Lord, and that is why they were persecuted. Now James is, is following the example of his brother Jesus who said the following in the Sermon of the Mount. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And of course, Jesus was pointing to the prophets who were persecuted, but he, the ultimate prophet, made the ultimate sacrifice. He is our ultimate example of suffering and patience. Turn to Acts chapter 6, if you would, please. Acts chapter 6. I want us to read together the words of Stephen. And this is as Stephen is, right before Stephen is taken away and martyred. Acts chapter 6, verse 51 through 53. This is what he says. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your father did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. That was Acts six fifty-one through 53. Seven. Thank you. I appreciate that. We're all in this together. This is a mutual thing. This is what it should be. I'm glad you're paying attention. Warms my heart. Okay, it's good. But what happened right after that? They took him away and stoned him. See, friends, what we're looking at here is this, that God has called us to follow the example of these prophets who were steadfast, and when they spoke for God, knew that suffering would come. But that didn't stop them for doing what God had called them to do. So friends, to be blessed then, here, is to be admired by others. You know, Psalm 1, blessed is the man. It's, the idea there is not so much, ooh, I'm going to be rich, I'm going to be famous and stuff. The idea of the word blessed is when other people look at you, they say, man, I, I, I wish I could be like that person. And so when they're looking at the prophets, what James is saying is look back at the prophets and see see the character that they had. To see their, their patience was tied up in their suffering. And, and am I going to be the kind of person that will also be steadfast when suffering comes my way? So these prophets are our examples, but they're our heroes to push us on and to remain steadfast in trial. Then we have the steadfastness of Job. As you remember, this is the only place where Job is mentioned in the New Testament. And we spent 23 weeks last year working our way, or this year I should say, working our way through the book of Job. And it was a joy and it was a delight, and we found there that he was a godly man who suffered greatly, not because he had sinned, but because God had ordained his suffering. And his three friends weren't helpful. They came to him with with some good theology, often faulty theology. It was certainly misapplied theology. And God rebukes them. But in the end, we recognize that although Job, Job did not suffer because of his sin, he did sin in his suffering. And God confronted him over that. But ultimately, God was compassionate, and he was merciful to Job. And that's why in verses five, chapter 5, verse 11, it says, you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So friends, we can remain steadfast when we place our trust in the one who is faithful. Patience is active. It's war. It's submission. It's steadfastness. And then patience is integrity. Once again, we come to the topic of our speech, and James has already had much to say about the controlling of our tongues. Of course, that is always a struggle, isn't it? And one of the manifestations of impatience is grumbling. We've already seen that. But another manifestation is making rash oaths. Look at verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Some will look at what James is saying here, and they'll take this kind of as a new topic that needs to be dealt with separately. But I want to say that my understanding, my consideration of this is that based on the context, this is all fitting into struggles we face as it relates to patience. So I don't think that what James is saying here Is the kind of oath that a person would take in a courtroom setting. That the context would suggest that what James is speaking to here is the practice of making oaths that sounded sincere, but were really a cover up for a lack of integrity. James is really repeating the words of Jesus. In fact, a lot of the material that he uses comes from the Sermon of the Mount, doesn't it? Matthew chapter five. Turn to Matthew chapter five, and verse thirty-three. I'm pretty convinced that it is Matthew chapter 5, but you can tell me otherwise. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 and following. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the, his footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Or do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. See where James is getting his material. And later in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus condemns the scribes and Pharisees for their ridiculous stipulations about which oaths were binding and which oaths were not binding. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? I made an oath, this one's binding, and this one's not binding. Well, why is one binding and one not binding? Well, let's look at chapter 23 and verse 16. Here's what they said. If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Or you jump down to verse 18. If anyone swears by the altar... It is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. So I think what James is saying here, friends, is that sometimes we make promises. We we promise, we, we make oaths that we have no intention of keeping. And because we're going through trial, we promise things, we're tempted to do these things because it might benefit us. And then we want to come back and find some wiggle room to get out from underneath that oath. And James and Jesus are saying to us, have nothing to do with this kind of double talk. Don't make rash promises. Don't speak and have truths. Be a person of integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no mean no. So if you said yes and you need to get out of it, go to the person that you said yes to and say, listen, I'm sorry. I know I committed to this. I will do this. Can I explain to you what's going on? And they might be able to say, you know, I'll release you. But don't just not do it. Be a person of integrity. If you said no, be a person of integrity. Mean no. We should be able to speak to each other with words that actually mean what we say. Now think about it. What kind of things do you find yourself saying when you're under stress? What promises do you make that you know that you are not going to keep? Think about the promises that you are tempted to make, even though you know that it is unlikely that you will follow through. Let let these thoughts, friends, simmer in your heart as you're interacting with people. Is your word what you mean? Or do you speak, you know, in kind of like this, this kind of fuzzy double talk that really is not giving an answer yes or no? This is true for me. This is true for you. These are places that we want to leave ourselves with options. Now, friends, patience is a Christian attribute that is necessary in our lives and that we must take pains to nurture. We need to learn to have patience with people, we need patience in order to do ministry effectively. We need patience in our evangelism, we need it in our discipleship, we need patience in our counseling when we're trying to help someone who's going through some difficult times but they are struggling with the counsel that we're giving. We need patience in our homes, between spouses, with our children, with our siblings, and ultimately with our siblings going up to the parents. We need patience when God is moving at a different speed or in a different manner than we would like. The bottom line is that we all need to grow in patience. So by means of summary, um, let's just remind ourselves that patience is a fruit and not a root. And if it's a fruit, then it needs to be it needs to be fueled by some things. It's not just going to happen by itself. Some things need to be in place. And there's a lot that we've looked at today. I just want to draw your attention. I have three statements, but there might be four ideas. First one is this, the fruit of patience matures when our hearts are saturated by his word and are resting in his sovereignty. So there's two things there. But but the, the thing here, friends, is this, that if you are not placing yourself under the word of God, if you're not being saturated by that word of God, you're, you're going to lose sight of the fact that God is sovereign. And friends, this is a reminder for us to continue to have that steady diet, that steady presence, that steady intake, placing yourself under the preaching of the word, placing yourself in the context where you're reading the word, placing yourself in the context where you're with other believers as you're talking through the word and how it applies in your life. These are absolutely essential for you to bear fruit in patience. Secondly, the fruit of patience ripens when our eyes and hearts are confidently fixed on the finish line. That is, Jesus is coming again. So get your eyes out of the fog of the here and now. And I know there's a lot here that God has said, you, you, want to be, you, know, you are to be a good steward of these things. Carry on that good stewardship, but don't get caught up in the mist of the culture in the midst of the wisdom of the world. Get above that. See clearly where God wants you to see. Keep your eyes fixed on the kind of prize that is important to God. That's why I talk about having your weather vane pointed in the right direction. The winds are going to blow. Trouble's going to come. But your weather vane is pointed at God and His purposes in your life. Keep that central. Third, the fruit of patience Blossoms when we reflect on the many godly examples of people who have gone before us. You know, one of the things that's always encouraging to me is when I sit down with people face to face. There can be people that are sitting in this room, and this has happened a number of times. There can be missionaries I've interacted with. There can be other pastors. And they're sharing testimony about how God has been working in their lives, in their ministry. And and those times of of reflecting or, or, or gleaning from those individuals fuel me then to live my life in a way that would honor God, to think of the ministry of Gateway afresh, and so when we look to the Old Testament or to the New Testament, we see the history of, of the followers of Christ. And then even outside of the, 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 the Bible itself, we look at the history of the church and those who have, who have fought battles and remained faithful through the years. Those are all people that are, that are pushing us on to do the same thing, to do the same thing. And it's not all about kind of you know, church stuff and pastors and stuff. This is just practical living for the glory of God. The fruit of patience blossoms when we reflect on the many godly examples of people who have gone before us. See, we consider them blessed, who remain steadfast. We look at them, we're like, I want some of that. I want some of that character. I want some of that steadfastness. I want some of that awareness of God in my life that will keep me plugging away. And friends, these are all, as James has been going through his book, topics or issues that are put there to be, so to speak, a test of our maturity. None of us has arrived. We all struggle. So here's your homework assignment. Go to Costco. Get in the longest line. Be happy about it. Let someone go ahead of you with a really, really big carton of stuff, (laughs) right? And you'll see that, you know what? It really didn't matter after all. The things oftentimes that we consume ourselves with are really not that important. What God desires, what he knows, what he's doing is far more important. Lord, help us today with this issue of patience. We are an impatient people wanting to be patient. <laughs> oh Lord, what a tension, what a struggle. But Lord, we, we know that we cannot just flip the switch, that there are things that need to be true and in place in our lives. And Lord, help us then, as we've seen James unpack for us in his book, that the need for the implanted word in us, to have its way, to to, to get into the various crevices of our heart so that that we can come face to face with the areas where we are holding on to sin. And Lord, just to allow your word to to saturate us, to permeate us. And Lord, having, having embraced that, to be submissive then to you and your purposes. And in that submission, to be resolute and have established hearts so that we are steadfast in facing the things, Lord, that are before us. And Lord, we don't have room to have a woe is me mentality because there are so many people that have gone before us who have struggled in far worse circumstances than we'll ever face. So Lord, help us to, to glean from their example, to, to rest in you, to, to find strength from the word and to know, Lord, that you are not finished with us yet. That in the middle of the already and not yet, you are still at work, maturing us, growing up. Longing for that one day, we'll be in heaven, standing with you, praising you with the host of heaven. Help us, Lord to be faithful as we pursue that vision and that reality. We ask Lord now for your help and your wisdom as we seek to, to wrestle with these things in our hearts. In your precious name. Amen.